live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am Rick Lee James, your host, and this is episode number 64 of Voices in My Head. I'm recording it on April Fool's Day, but that doesn't mean I'm fooling you. This is going to be a good episode. You're going to enjoy it. I have as my guest today Dr. John H. Walton, author of the book The Lost World of Genesis 1. We have a very interesting conversation. It's a great book, and I'm going to tell you more about it in just a few minutes. A few preliminary announcements for the Voices in My Head listeners before I go any further. Uh, I do have a release party coming up on April 12th, and I know that's just a few days away. Many of you might be listening right around that date, but if you're in the Springfield, Ohio area, uh, my new DVD and album, Basement Psalms Live, we're going to be celebrating its release on April 12th here in Springfield, Ohio at Kairos Coffee, which is located in the Beacon of Hope store. And uh, if you want to find more information, you can just go to my website at rickleyjames.com, or you can look up Beacon of Hope stores online, and you will find more information there. Uh, we're asking a, a $5 donation if you come. If you don't have the $5, that's fine, but we're just trying to help cover some costs of things. Uh, I am bringing cake. There will be cake that night, so part of it, you'll get not only a concert, you'll get cake. And, uh, and they'll have coffee there. It's it's really going to be a great evening together. But we're going to be celebrating the release of Basement Psalms Live, which is already out. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on iTunes. You can go to Mopix. Um, Actually, their website is getmopix.com. Uh, still, for a few more days, having that sale where you can buy the digital video of the concert for only five ninety nine. So I hope that you will enjoy that and take advantage at getmopix.com. That's G-E-T. M-O-P-I-X dot com and just look up Rick Lee James or Basement Psalms Live and it'll take you there where you need to go. Um, I can't think of any other announcements that are pressing at this time. Of Oh, yes, I can. One other quick thing I need to tell you before we get into the question of the week this week. If you want some free music, go to noisetrade.com and look up my name, Rick Lee James. You can get a free 12-song sampler, which is 12 songs that are taken from each of my albums over the years that I have recorded and put out to the public. It's sort of a, uh, I don't know if I have any hits in my life, but it's sort of like, I guess if I had any hits, uh, it's kind of a hits album, something like that. You can download it absolutely free, but any donation you make would really be appreciated. We're trying to uh, get some ads and things together for the new album, and uh, that helps to cover the cost. Plus, it helps cover the cost for this podcast, which there are incurring fees that happen every year, every month. So thank you so much for your help. Any donation you can give. If you can't afford a donation, just feel free to download the music anyway. We want you to be able to have it at noisetrade.com. Simply look up Rick Lee James. Well, without any further pause or any more advertisement, we want to get right into this week's Question of the Week. Question of the Week. Well, since uh, The Lost World of Genesis 1 is the book we're going to be discussing today with Dr. John H. Walton, and uh, I was trying to think, okay, what 
what could we ask that sort of has something to do with uh, creation? Uh, because that's usually what most people think of when they think of Genesis 1. So the question is this. What is the one place in all creation that you would like to visit? And we had several answers from our Voices in My Head listeners. Matthew Cole wrote in and said, Greece, which that does sound like a great place to go, although it sounds kind of greasy. Ha uh, ha. Randy Lee James wrote in. Hey, Dad. It says, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. Maybe it's maybe because it's completely on the other side of the world, but also because it's a beautiful and diverse land. And uh, I guess like father, like son, that was my dad, Randy Lee James, who has been a guest on the show in the past. We talked about his book on Revelation. And uh, I actually was going to say uh, New Zealand, partially because I'm watching Lord of the Rings and trying to read through the books again. And I know that those movies were filmed in New Zealand. And I just think it's it's got to be a, a be- one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen, at least on film. I'd love to see that. Um, but actually, you know, the place I think I'd really like to go is Walk the Road uh, of the, the Santiago de Compostela uh, that's portrayed in the movie The Way. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that some other time, but more answers. Kevin Moen said, Eden, though I hear it's closed to tourists right now. <laughs> so uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it is open, Kevin. We'll, we'll have to talk more about it uh, as the interview goes on. Allie T., she says Victoria Falls is where she would like to visit, or just anywhere in Africa in general. And uh, Will Davis wrote in, love to have been visited visiting the last supper of the apostles and jesus so i guess that's a good friday reference thanks will david sanders says wow so many places i think maybe the hagia sophia in istanbul and the blue mosque right across the river and uh, vaughn allen weber you gotta love vaughn's answer he says maybe stan lee's house Uh, vaughn's a big comic book fan so uh, I, i guess that would be okay to visit stan lee's house although i don't think that would be my my one place in all creation I'd want to visit. but And uh, and Mary Jane James, boy, my mom and my dad both wrote in this week. That's a, a rare occurrence. She said the New England states is where she would like to visit. Uh, I think I'm still going to go with my answer about the Santiago de Compostela in Spain. I would love to walk the road leading to that, take a pilgrimage. Uh, Matthew Cole also answered, and he said he would like to go to the Holy Land and is actually planning on going there uh, this coming year. No, I'm sorry, this coming January, so it would be 2014. And uh, and he asked me to go with him. Maybe I will. You never know. I'd love to make a trip over there and do sort of a pilgrimage. But thank you for listening to Question of the Week this week. We'll have another one for you next week. Question of the Week. My guest today is John H. Walton. Uh, John has written an amazing book on Genesis 1. It's called The Lost World of Genesis 1. Do not mistake this book to have something to do with The Lost World, the Jurassic Park movie, or any of the books involved there. Uh, This is uh, not a fiction book. This is actually a a wonderful, wonderful read about Genesis 1. Honestly, it's a breath of fresh air for me in, uh, in a world where... Uh, there seems to be such division between 
faith and reason or science and religion. Uh, and there just doesn't need to be that rift that's there because there really aren't the contradictions that we say. And it's usually not the fault of science. It's almost always seemingly the fault of those of us religious types who uh, have too narrow of a view of Scripture uh, in order to accommodate science. And so we're going to have a, uh, a... We had a great conversation, actually, that I recorded just a few minutes ago, and I appreciated Dr. Walton being able to come on the show. He is a very busy man. If you go to his website, you will see that uh, he is just constantly booked, it seemed like. And today was one of the few days that he had free on this uh, this April 1st, Monday morning. That's why the podcast is a little bit late getting out this week. I didn't have one uh, over the weekend like I normally do, uh, but I wanted to wait until uh, Professor Walton was able to be a part of the show, and uh, I need to recommend this book to you. I, I don't think I could give it any higher of a recommendation. If I gave a five-star recommendation, it would get all five stars because it is a very well-written book. Um, he, his research and his energized presentations are rooted in his passion for drawing people into a better understanding of God's self-revelation in Scripture. Uh, John Walton is a professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College and Graduate School, and he focuses his research on literature and the cultures of the ancient Near East and the Old Testament with a particular interest in Genesis. And in addition uh, to teaching for 20 years at the Moody Bible Institute, he has also authored many articles and books, including The Lost World of Genesis 1, Genesis 1 as Ancient Cosmology, and Ancient Near Eastern Thought and the Old Testament, all available from InterVarsity Press. And uh, he has a new book also coming out. Uh, I believe it's on Adam and Eve, but I will send you uh, to his website to find more information about that. Uh, but such a, a well-written book. His website is originstoday.org. I have to say that... Um, Living here in Ohio, where I do, near the Creation Museum, uh, Answers in Genesis causes a lot of, um, how do I phrase it exactly as a minister, causes a lot of problems to me because, um, you know, they, they have their little blacklist of people that they've decided can't be a part of their circle, and the Nazarene Church is on it, which I'm a part of, because we don't believe necessarily that the Bible is a science book. Actually, I, I don't believe that at all. That's not, it wasn't even a category when the Bible was written, so it's ridiculous to think that we would use the Bible as a science textbook. Uh, but it, it is a, uh, it's eye-opening to read this book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, because we are actually being called by Dr. Walton to enter into the world of Genesis 1, to enter into the mindset of the ancient people, to try to understand things as they would understand them, and not to try to understand things from our point of view. That is one of the biggest errors I believe that we make when we come to this debate about evolution or creationism or intelligent design or any of these debates because we're trying to make the Bible speak from our point of view rather than letting the Bible speak from its point of view. We'll find that the Bible has actually very little to say about those things. And you might be introduced for the first time to a concept of functional creation, which is found in Genesis 1. Uh, the book is not saying that uh, that God did not create all that is, but 
it is saying that Genesis 1 is not necessarily describing that. I think it may be a new concept for many of our listeners and voices in my head to think about Genesis 1 not as a physical, material creation process, but that this is God entering into a world that was already created by God, um, but was already created in Genesis 1 as an account of God giving function. And if you read it again from those eyes, I think you will be surprised about how much more sense the book of Genesis actually makes. And so uh, without any further hesitation or any more of my commenting on it, I just want to say thank you again to Dr. John Walton for being a part of Voices in My Head today. I hope you will check out his new book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, and enjoy this interview that we had together today. God bless. N.T. Wright says about my guest today, John Walton, that John Walton's expertise in the ancient Near Eastern sources enables him to shed a flood of new and unexpected light on the deeper meaning of Genesis 1. The Creator, Genesis is saying, designed heaven and earth as a great temple with the intention of coming to live in it himself. And the Sabbath isn't just a nice break after the work is done, but the moment when he takes up residence in the world he has just made. The implications of this resonate right through the rest of the Bible. This is not just a book to invite creationists to think differently. It is a book to help all Bible students read the whole of Scripture with fresh eyes. So uh, that is a quote by N.T. Wright, and uh, it's about my guest uh, John Walton's book today. And the book is called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And uh, Dr. Walton, it is my privilege to have you on Voices in My Head today. Thank you for taking time to be here. Glad to be part of it. Now, you are uh, getting a lot of traveling time right now. I've been looking over your schedule online, so our question of the week is probably going to be pretty easy for you to answer. Uh, but every week, we always ask our listeners and our guests a question of the week, and you are no exception this week. And so I figured since your book is a lot about creation, this would be appropriate. So my question of the week for you this week is, what is the one place in all creation that you would like to visit? Well, I always like Jerusalem, best of all, so I would have to say Jerusalem. Awesome. We actually had a lot of listeners that wrote in and said that and that have been there numerous times and said they would like to visit there again. So, uh, all right, well, fantastic. Thanks for answering that question today. As we begin our discussion today, would you tell our listeners a little bit about Origins Today and some of the work that you're doing through it? Uh, this is a worldwide lecture tour uh, in which I'm talking about Genesis 1 and 2. I'm traveling to 15 different countries, uh, 25 or 30 locations around the United States, uh, presenting my material to uh, mostly to students at uh, Christian colleges and seminaries, but also in churches and uh, campus ministry groups on secular campuses. Uh, I'm not addressing um, a particular scientific view. I don't have scientific conclusions to promote or to present. I'm really talking about the uh, interpretation of the biblical text and trying to read it deeply and closely to understand what claims the text is making. That way, when we use the Bible as sort of a filter to figure out what science might be acceptable and what might, might not be acceptable, uh, we'll have a more accurate view of what the Bible's claims are. 
Well, that's fantastic, and I, I want to encourage all of our listeners to not only check out your book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, but you can find out uh, more at your website. Quickly, could you give us your website information of Origins today? Right. Uh, the website is www.originstoday.org. There is a wealth of information there, and I know that all our listeners are going to check that out. Um, let me ask you a question. Why do you believe uh, when we're talking about faith and when we're talking about science? And you've already said that uh, you don't necessarily um, uh, come at it from any one particular scientific view. You're looking more at the Scripture. But why, in your opinion, do you believe that there seems to be such a rift between faith and science on this subject in particular? Well, there's a rift because uh, people are promoting the idea that there's a war. Uh, the new atheists are suggesting that there's a war, that you have to choose either science or the Bible, that the science uh, represents the enlightened, uh, assured facts uh, of, uh, of today's age, while the Bible represents, in their view, a naive, unsophisticated, um, almost mythological viewpoint. So they think that there's a war and people have to choose. In conservative Christianity, there's also a belief that there's a war, that science is um, is doing damage to the Bible, it's attacking the Bible, and that therefore uh, one has to make a choice. If you're going to stand for the Bible, you have to stand against science. And so the rift has been created because there are people that believe that there is a war and even promote, perpetuate the idea that there is a war. I'm not convinced that there there is a war. I'm not convinced that um, we have uh, hills that we need to die on here as Christians who are defending our faith. Hmm. Very interesting, and, and I agree with you. It's unfortunate, but it seems like we do want to always dry, draw those lines. And often I find that it is our misinterpretation often of Scripture that leads us to want to create or even fight in those wars. So uh, as we talk about your book today, I, I first need to thank my friends Ben DeBono and Matt Anderson of the Sci-Fi Christian Podcast for helping me find your book. They recently did an entire episode on their show about the lost world of Genesis one, and there was a lot of great discussion that began taking place on the Sci-Fi Christian listener page. And um, as a person myself, I, I live nearby the Creation Museum, uh, not too far away here in Ohio. And uh, Answers in Genesis uh, has a lot of influence. And I have to say that personally, I have found this book, your book, uh, The Lost World of Genesis One. Uh, to be a real breath of fresh air in the conversation. Um, tell us what makes The Lost World of Genesis 1 different from other studies on the book of Genesis. Well, I think one of the main things is that um, not only am I reading the biblical text very deeply, but also I am comparing it to what we know about the ancient world. Uh, I'm not talking about the popular idea that the biblical authors... Uh, allegedly borrowed from Babylonian myths. That's not the issue at all. I'm rather talking about the fact that the Bible was written to an ancient audience. So that even though the Bible is written for us, it is not written to us. And therefore, if we're going to understand the authority of the biblical text, we need to understand it as an ancient text. We need to think about how people thought in the ancient world so that we can consider uh, how we should understand uh, biblical text. And I think that's the, the thing that uh, makes this a little bit different. Hmm. 
And in the introduction of your book, you talk about the need for us to, to enter into culture like you're talking about now, uh, rather than just simply to translate the culture, and that it's if, if we want to do serious scripture study. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how entering the culture is different from simply just translating the culture. Well, it's uh, when we translate a text, uh, we are we are communicating words, but words function within a cultural context. And so beyond translating the text, we have to try to get into the culture to understand what those words mean in the culture and what they mean to those people. So for instance, uh, we, we talk about the moon and we could translate the word moon, but what we think about the moon is far different from what an ancient Israelite would have thought about the moon. Mm. We think of the moon as a rock in orbit, reflecting the light of the sun, 375,000 miles away, um, rotating, revolving, uh, craters due to asteroids. I mean, all of these things come along with the meaning of moon, but those are things that are known in our culture. We would have to ask what what does the word moon bring to mind in their culture? Again, the word would be translated the same, but what what does it bring to mind? And when we ask the question, well, what did the Israelites think when they heard the word moon? It would be none of those things that I just mentioned. Hmm. Instead, um, they they would not have any kind of material understanding of the moon. They don't even know that the moon is an object. They call it a light, and that's what it is. It's a light. Uh, so they don't know any different from that. So that's part of the idea of translating culture, of understanding uh, the culture behind the terminology. Hmm. Well, that's very, very interesting, and it, it really – I've encouraged my listeners many times – to try to enter scripture that way and try to enter the world because there really is a lot of difference and we can always imagine um, just with all the years that have passed and even idioms that are different for us from maybe even the last 20 years. Uh, uh, so imagine just going all the way back to the biblical world, what kind of uh, world we need to enter into. Now, I'd love for you to, to talk a bit about something that maybe some listeners might find controversial and maybe even some of the people that you speak to from time to time find controversial along the way. But it's the idea that you describe in your book as functional creation as opposed to material creation as what's taking place in the beginning of the book of Genesis. And could you uh, maybe just talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um it is one of the most difficult things to wrap our minds around. Uh, when we think about uh, creation in our modern world, we tend to think uh, about material uh, coming into existence because that's that's just uh, what our culture tells us to think. And we're so persuaded about thinking that way that we don't even consider that there could be another way to think about it. Hmm. What I propose in my book is that uh, the Israelites are much more interested in the functioning cosmos coming into existence by being given functions rather than material cosmos coming into existence. Uh, it's just the way people thought in the ancient world, and I try to give examples of that. For instance, you know, you'll recall that in uh, when I deal with day one, I talk about the fact that on day one, God created time. It's not an object that he manufactures. Hmm. Uh, it's a function that, that comes into being. The illustration that I use now when I'm talking, and it's not in the book, but I think it's been very helpful for people, is that there's a difference between um, the, um, the building of a house and the making 
of the house into a home. Uh, when uh, you know a builder can build a house and um, and it completes that that building and everything works in a sense the electricity, the plumbing, the roof, the foundation, the walls, it all it all works. Uh, but if there's nobody there to use it, then it's not functioning as a mm. home. It's just sitting there as a house. And everything's ready to be used as a home, but it's not a home until somebody moves into it. And then then the electricity and plumbing and roof and foundation now have a function in the home of these people that have moved in. And so I contrast between the house story, which is the material cosmos, and the home story, which is uh, the idea that God has moved us in and he has moved in himself. It's his home and we're honored guests. Uh, Science looks at the house story. They want to know how the material cosmos was built. Hmm. And that's an important topic for discussion, but I suggest that that's not really the Bible's issue. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about the home story. God built the house, no question about it. But Genesis 1 is a story about how God made that house his home and our home to be with him, to relate to him, uh, in relationship with him in that home. Hmm. And that is fascinating, and and I love how you bring out in your book, it's not that you're saying that God didn't create all that is, but what you're saying is that's maybe not what Genesis 1 is actually addressing, that you're actually, they're coming at it from a different angle, and, and I, I love that idea. It's been so great to actually have someone put into words uh, to be able to read on the written page what many of us, I think, have felt for a long time, but maybe have not had words quite to describe that. Um, this functional creation, I, I think if I were to put it into maybe just a, a little bit simpler terms, things don't work without God, <laughs> you know, and the idea that, that he's giving us function, and yeah, I, I love that about your book. Well, and that's that's really what, I mean, even though science is very interested in the material and the, the how all the material happened, still in, in the world we live in day to day, it's the issue of how this world functions for us that is much more of a concern to us. Sure. Well, and it seems like we, getting back to this rift a little bit, that when we start talking about uh, functional versus material creation, um, sometimes we are led to what you talk about in your book is called concordism. And for listeners who may not be familiar with that term, could you explain to us what concordism is and uh, and why it is probably not the best method to use when interpreting Scripture? Well, concordism comes out of a, a very, very important impulse. That is, we believe that God's world and God's word should converge. There's truth in both, and they should work together. And, and that's perfectly acceptable. We, sure. we should think in those terms. But the problem comes when we try to use that convergence, uh, that search for convergence, as an interpretive method. That is, if we are trying to uh, take our modern science, for instance, and to read it into the pages of the Bible, to read it between the lines, to read it into the words, in other words, that we try to see that convergence in the actual words in the Bible that we might interpret as having some um, fuller, more sophisticated scientific significance. Uh, so that's concordism, uh, at least one form of it. Uh, the problem with that is that um, it ends up reading words in the Bible 
for what they as what things that they never meant. Hmm. Um, see, as as I present it, the authority of Scripture is tied into what the author intended to say. And if we're giving meanings to words that the author never had and that his audience would have never understood, then we are bypassing the authority of the text because the hmm. authority is linked to what the author intended. And so we can't really read sophisticated science in between the lines without without undermining the authority of the author and the biblical text. Now, some people will say, well, but God might have had that fuller meaning, and now we can understand it because, you know, of how things have progressed. And so this is just a, a, a enlarged meaning that's available to us because of the, the time in which we live and the work that's been done. Well, excuse me. Uh, the difficulty with that is that um, the if there is an expanded meaning, if God meant more than what the author was saying, how do we find out what that more is? Hmm. In other words, do we really have the right to stand up and place ourselves next to the author and say, the author had this authoritative meaning that God gave him, and I've got this other one to put next to it. Oh, wow. See, that puts us in a place where we shouldn't be. Uh, because we can't we can't assume that authority for ourselves. So if there's going to be more meaning than what the author knew, I want to get that more meaning from another authoritative voice. That means if the New Testament does it, if the New Testament comes along and says, here's more meaning you know, that the author didn't know, well, I'm good with that, because the New Testament author has authority. Okay, hmm. but if it's not an authoritative voice like the New Testament... Then I say, wait a minute, we can't, we can't say, well, the author said this, but he didn't know that it really means that. <laughs> Who am I to say that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so when we say, well, here it says that, um, you know, God stretched out the heavens. We say, so that, that refers to the Big Bang and the expanding universe. Well, no, the author didn't understand that as referring to the Big Bang or the expanding universe, oh. and therefore we're in no position to do that because we're giving the text a meaning that it never had, and we don't have the authority to do that. And, and it seems like, too, when, when you take a, a phrase like that, like God stretching out the universe, uh, it's it rings to me almost as a, a poet or a songwriter when they're coming and they're trying their best to describe in this uh, beautiful, maybe even artful way we could say uh, to describe something. And, you know, it would be almost like maybe in some sense for us to go to a nursery rhyme years from now, you know, maybe it's all lost its meaning and, and a, a line about the cow jumped over the moon or something and say, well, you know, that's <laughs> that that's something, you know, the, the cows used to be big enough to jump over the moon or whatever. And, and you're completely missing context and completely missing where you're going with that. So um, I, so I, I think what I what I hear you saying partially in this conversation and even in the book is um, God isn't necessarily waiting on the science to catch up so that he can reveal himself. You know, he, he's actually right. speaking to people where they are and in the belief system that they had. It, but it, am I kind of correct in what I'm assuming about that? Yes, and furthermore, that he's using their ways of understanding the world around them instead of giving them new ways of understanding the material world. He gives them new ways of understanding himself. He gives them new ways of understanding ourselves, themselves, 
but he's not giving them new ways of understanding the processes and mechanisms in the natural world around them. He's hmm. using what they already understand. So when he talks about stretching out to the heavens, he's just using language that would make sense to them. He's not making a scientific statement. Hmm. And uh, it really adds so much meaning to me reading the Genesis text this way uh, that, that, frankly, I just don't find when we try to make the Bible into a science book. I think that there's, that I think that there's just a, a, a beautiful way of understanding, again, the functions that God gives, the purpose that he gives. And uh, one thing that I would love uh, to have you talk about a little bit, I don't want to give away the entire book because I do want listeners to read it for themselves because they will find it very informative. Uh, but what N.T. Wright had referenced earlier, you talk about on the seventh day, and we just passed Easter Sunday yesterday, this idea that God rested on the seventh day and, and that that rest has a different meaning to that culture than maybe it does to us and, and what that would mean for God to um, to take the seventh day rest. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because that is a really powerful section of your book. Yeah, well, you know, we, we've always been confused reading this the text of Genesis that uh, God rested. We say, why does God need rest? God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need a nap. God doesn't have leisure time or downtime. What in the world is this talking about? And so we've kind of written it off as, well, that's just some way that uh, that he's getting the idea of the Israelite Sabbath in. Well, that's kind of weak. Actually, I believe that the seventh day is the climax of the creation account because when God rests, it means he's taking uh, taking control. He is entering the command center of the universe, and he's taking the controls. And so that's a very different kind of statement. It's engaging, not disengaging. And we would understand that if we understood the biblical theology of rest. When God says that uh, he's going to give Israel rest from her enemies all around, he's not telling them he's going to give them a chance to take a nap. He's telling them that he's bringing some bringing some stability, security. Uh, he's giving them the chance to engage in their lives, not to disengage from their lives, uh, because he's uh, protecting them from their enemies. Hmm. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor, heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he's not talking about giving them a nap. He's talking about giving them a stability in their lives in relationship with him, and so they take his yoke upon them. And it's not relaxation that's involved here. It's rather the idea that you will have a level of order that you have not yet um, achieved or appreciated. When Hebrews says that um, you have not yet entered that rest, hmm. it's not saying that uh, you know that it hasn't been nap time, nap time yet, <laughs> but rather it's the idea that there's a higher level of order yet to come. Rest is the result of order and stability. Uh, rest is not the opposite of activity. Rest is the opposite of unrest. And so when we read the, the idea of God resting, the fact is he has brought order. That's what this six days had been about. He's brought order, and now he is taking up his seat of power in that ordered cosmos in order to take command of it. And that's the rest that he is enjoying. Hmm. And that gives us a very different idea of what's going on. Sure. And, and I, I love the description that you use that I, I believe you say that God is resting, he, that he's in his command center, so to speak, that he has actually right. um, made earth um, 
as his temple because the temple was so understood as this is the place that God dwells. So really the creation account in Genesis 1 is really sort of an account of um, the earth being the Lord's temple and the Lord taking command and giving function and giving purpose. And so that seventh day rest is just about him um, coming into command, so to speak, of all the cosmos, taking his place and everything is working through him and with him. And that's that's the part about it's not Genesis one is not the story of God building the house. It's the story of God making that house his home. Right. And then he invites us in as his honored guests. And so that's the, the very deep theology that's that's going on here. And the whole ordering process of days one through six is exactly so that God can take up his rest. And anyone in the ancient Near East would have understood this. Israel, Babylon, Egypt, they all would have understood this. They would have seen God resting, and they would have said, this is a temple account, because God's rest in temples, and temples are built for gods to rest in. And that resting is taking control in the command center. Hmm. And I think that's very important in the time we live in, too. I, I think I hear a lot of Christians that kind of want to... Um, discount the earth almost because well we're all just gonna die and go to heaven anyway so just let it go to pot you know and and the all this is totally contrary to this whole genesis one idea that god actually is dwelling in our midst here that god has created uh a a function and a purpose to his creation that is good and he wants his people to function in their proper place with all of creation and uh i i just think it's a it adds a lot more meaning and and maybe calls us to more accountability uh, as believers in this day and time if we were to look at it from those eyes. Sure, this is his home, and we have responsibilities in it, and we have the privilege of being his guests in his home, and so we ought to be uh, taking care of it. Um, I, I want to ask before we end our time today, we did have a listener that wrote in a question, uh, Matthew Cole is his name, and uh, he asked a question, he says, in your opinion, has the practice of apologetics helped or hindered the study, reading, and communication of the Genesis narrative? Well, I think that sometimes uh, apologetics can can be misdirected, that is, if we're trying to defend the Bible, we want to defend what it claims. Uh, sometimes that might be different from what our interpretations are. And sometimes in apologetics we get defending our own interpretations, and there may be other very legitimate interpretations. And so apologetics can have a difficulty if we confuse the actual claims of the biblical text with our interpretation of the biblical text. And we can end up defending our own interpretations instead of defending the biblical text. Hmm. And I and I think we are guilty of that. More, I'll I'll put myself there and say I am often probably more guilty of that than I know. I always want to uh, defend my own instead of maybe I need to look a little different, deeper at times. So um, now some other questions that that we have uh, actually stem partially from your frequently asked questions in the back of your book, which is a great resource. And uh, one thing that I found interesting is, you know, we know that there were dinosaurs. We have fossils. We have bones. We have things to to prove that. Uh, but this is a problem for some people because they aren't mentioned in the Bible. And um, this past summer, I, I saw a Bible school that had, you know, things they they'd been using. Uh, I believe it was Answers in Genesis Bible School program, and so they had pictures of 
dinosaurs with saddles on them and they're trying to figure out how to you know fit everything into the Genesis 1 account that isn't mentioned in the Genesis 1 account and uh so i guess my question is is where do uh, where do prehistoric creatures and things like that fit into a biblical cosmology well dinosaurs would uh, feasibly be part of the house story not the home story Right. They're not the furniture in our home. Uh, they are part of the house story as God was preparing the cosmos to become a home. So it just puts them in a different category. This is not the the old gap theory. Um, it's not that idea. But the but still the idea that there is a, a time for building the house and there's a time for making it a home. Think of the, the temple when Solomon built the temple. He spent seven years building the house, building the structure. And when it was all done... It was ready to be a temple, but it was not a temple because God was not in it, and it wasn't functioning as a temple. But then there's the time when that house becomes a home, where the temple, uh, where the structure that has been prepared, actually becomes a temple. And that's a seven-day process of temple inauguration. And that's what I would say is going on in the Genesis account. It's making the house the home. But the dinosaurs are part of the house, Hmm. rather than... Uh, part of the home. Very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, and actually, this is probably the question that's going to be most on people's mind. And I know that you're not pointing to any one scientific view of anything because, again, we're getting into biblical accounts. But I know you're asked this question a lot. Uh, can a belief in evolution and a belief in Christianity go hand in hand together without contradiction? Of course, that wasn't an issue that I talked about in that book. And I, I am writing a book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve, which I'll address that more more directly. Um, the uh, You always have to ask the question, what claims does the biblical text make? Right. Is the biblical text making a claim about the age of the earth? I don't think so. Is it making a claim about the um, the mechanisms of human origins? Now, I'm going to take a risk here to say, no, I don't think so. But, of course, that requires a lot of explanation. I've got the explanation. I've got the treatment of the text. But that's not something that I can cover here, and it's not covered in that particular book. Mm -hmm. But regardless of that, if the Bible can be read legitimately uh, so that it's making no claims in that area, well, then the Bible would not contradict whatever change over time ideas scientists might have that doesn't mean that science is right. It only means that we try to figure out what claims the Bible is making. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, a very very important thing. And and again, we've already talked about how uh, you know the science is is probably going to change. You know, as time goes by, God's not sure. wa- God's Absolutely. not waiting on the science to catch up to His revealing Himself. And uh, and so I really appreciate that. So so Dr. Walton. I so appreciate that you are teaching uh, people to let the Bible speak to us on its terms and not make the mistake of demanding that the text speak to us in our terms. So so God gives function to all things. Uh, if we can take nothing else from this book, I think we should take this, that nothing works without God, that, that things just don't work without him, that God gives function, God gives purpose, God gives meaning. Um, so I really appreciate you taking some time to be here with us today. Thank you so much for, for being a guest on Voices in My Head this morning. My pleasure. And, Good uh, to talk to you. 
And for all of our listeners, I want to point you once again to OriginsToday.org to find a complete schedule of Dr. John Walton's speaking engagements and his upcoming books. And uh, and thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful uh, time with the rest of your speaking tour this year, and we're looking forward to uh, to more books in the future. Okay. Good to talk to you, Rick. You too. That'll about wrap it up for today's show. My thanks again to Dr. John H. Walton, author of The Lost World of Genesis 1, for taking time to be with us here today on Voices in My Head. Uh, Go to Amazon or wherever you buy books from. Get it for your Kindle. Just get it and read it. It's a very great read. Um, I think you'll find that uh, there's a, a lot that will be helpful, especially if you're a pastor and you're dealing with issues like this in your congregation uh, not long ago, a fellow pastor friend of mine uh, was telling about a, a, a large exodus of people from his church um, because the family uh, was was so into this um, scientific view of the Bible that they just couldn't get over it and, and that the church wasn't teaching that necessarily and, and took a big chunk of the family's out of the church and left because it was such a divisive issue, and it really doesn't need to be, and I, I really want to encourage people to read this book. Uh, feel free to leave feedback about this or any episode of Voices in My Head by calling the Voices in My Head phone line at 937-505-0162. You can simply leave a message on that line, and we will play it on the show. You can also go to the Voices in My Head Facebook page and leave a comment for discussion. We would love to have more uh, more in-depth discussion and dialogue than we were able even in the short time to dive into today. Dr. Walton is a very busy, very sought-after speaker, teacher, professor, and uh, it, it it really was uh, was my privilege to have him today on the show. We had to do it early on Monday morning, April 1st, uh, and it was just the only time he could fit into his schedule, and I so appreciate that. So uh, that's it for this week on Voices in My Head. We'd love to hear from you about what you think about the show. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. God bless. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.